They are trying to develop a lunar economy in the future. And Europe, if we stay and wait until 2030 plus, we might miss something. In that sense, I think that's a very important aspect that an early lunar landing capability on a cost-efficient commercial lunar lander is a real necessity to follow. Hey, Space Watchers, this is Space Cafe Radio, your channel about trends, great people and awesome conferences. The ELA Airshow Berlin is months behind us, but we still have some nice interviews from our Space Cafe Radio glass studio at the DLR booth for you. This interview is with Dr. Timo Stufler, Director of Business Development and Exploration at OHBSE. We spoke about their missions and about landing on the moon. I'm Torsten, publisher of Spacewatch.Global. Enjoy this conversation. Timo, thank you very much for being here with us in this interview at the Eli Air Show. Tell us a bit OHB and exploration. How does that work together? Because you are known for building satellites and fly them. Tell us more about the exploration. Indeed, we have a long history with exploration in the company. Our company founder, Professor Fuchs, the father of Marco Fuchs, our actual CEO, He was always dreaming to fly to the moon. He pushed heavily already 10 years ago to get the moon mission going in the international ESA programs. But the time was not ripe for this. Nevertheless, we did a couple of things on our own expenses. And we did the first commercial moon mission. It's a post-mortem, so Professor Fuchs, he passed away. It was named 4M mission, Manfred Fuchs memory mission. And he did not see the mission. It was with a Chinese, a Changi mission flying in the lunar orbit and uh, just uh, sending signals, radio signals to the Earth into the radio community. And uh, that was really a, a kind of in the overall scenario. So exploration is always in our interest because uh, the company management is curious and exploration means really detecting new things and finding new things. The moon is one area and to the uh, space station stories in the low Earth orbit, we have anyhow a long history in OHB with uh, wrecks and internal activities with experiments, micro-T experiments and so on. And towards Mars, we are heavily involved. We, for example, were responsible for the carrier module and of the trace gas monitor, which already circulates around Mars today. And we are also involved in the ExoMars mission with scientific experiments. ExoMars is a good and a sad topic to talk yeah, about. Indeed. What is the way forward? I mean, ESAR is working very hard to find a replacement launch, but it's just the tip of the iceberg when we see the sanctions. So how is OHB affected by the sanction and how can you get your way to find alternatives and replacements? Yeah, this is really a little bit of a sad story because if ExoMars would have been ready where it was originally planned, it would have been already on the Mars surface. There were several delays in the program and usually to Mars you can only fly each two years. So a delay and missing a launch window means you have another two years on top of it. So we missed two or three launch windows. And then there was this Russian crisis and Ukrainian crisis shuffling up. Originally it was planned to launch with a Russian rocket, yeah. but we have to skip this one now. And there are now workarounds. I understood that there's interest uh, in a cooperation with the US. So mm. the NASA administrator, he already signalized that there might be a cooperative approach on ExoMars, but it has to be reworked. Uh, it has to be reconstructed a little bit, interfaces, launcher interfaces also. From our side, as we are responsible on the payload area, we are not drastically affected. So that has to be tuned a little bit to the new, but it's not too much additional work. I think the Italians, uh, the prime of uh, ExoMars, they are mostly affected on all these activities. 
Let's talk about your exploration programs that are active, that are ongoing, that are recently brought into life. Where are we? When you said you have been on the moon in the lunar orbit, sending some radio signals from there, that's one thing that is a good first step, but it's not an exploration what we have in mind when we talk about exploring new areas, exploiting materials and doing applying science, also looking at the commercial side, of course. Yeah, that's right. I told you this, showing the spirit of the company, yeah. which we had. In 2019, uh, we signed with the Israeli Cooperative and Memorandum of Understanding Cooperative Agreement for a commercial lunar mission. We worked on it since... 19 now. It's about four years. And we invested some money. We went into a study with ESA, a Pathfinder study for a kind of commercial cooperation, a PPP program with ESA. And having ESA as a key customer, we went through a two years study and we successfully finalized it. The problem is that the commercial path inside ESA is not so easy to follow. The people are used to follow the ECSS in all their programs. The people are used to work according to these standards and then the prices go very high up. So it's a kind of space approach you have to follow if you want to have a small lunar mission. That's what we're talking about. Our mission is called ELSAS in a cooperation with IAI for the first mission and then the takeover of know-how for future success missions of uh, ELSAS 2, ELSAS 3, ELSAS 4. If we stay with the, I think, ex-Genesis, yes. the Israelian had shown in their Bereshit lander a very interesting approach, not just from the funding, that's not the side yeah. I want to go for, but with the outreach, with educating, with inspiring a complete next generation, something our industry here in Europe is lacking of. Working now together with the Israelian, can you learn from them as well how to engage, how to excite the next generation or... Are you doing it as a German project? No, this is a cooperative program and we have in our team people technically working on it. They are young people per se, but also experienced a little bit older people, but they have the virus already because this is really something new to be developed. And Europe has not been successfully landed on the lunar surface yet. It could be the first European lunar lander. So there's a lot of excitement in the team and I agree with you. A little bit the spirit coming from Israel really jumps over to this team and you see it also together with the scientists. That's another element coming into the game. They want to have first science activities and missions with an early access capability to the lunar surface. There's really a drive in it, but nevertheless, we have to look also on the commercial side. So nothing is for free. We are really trying to work out a scheme on a PPP program, but there comes then the institutional program lines because that they are continuously following up and they are also important because when it comes to the big stories, to the large and big uh, missions, you need the space agencies to support you there. So it's a complementary thing, but this complementarity is, from my point of view, very hard to keep on track in a parallel way. Because on one side, you interact with ESA as a commercial customer. On the other side, you interact with ESA as an institutional customer. ESA has the problem to diversify between those two elements. And also internally in the company, you have a problem. So you really need a separate team. This, you know, spirited commercial team on a very pragmatic basis working on it and cooperating with Israel. And then you need a European team following the standard ECSS approach and to build a big thing. And this is a very difficult thing to handle both elements on one plate. 
I'm very grateful for what you said because you describe the relationship with ESA from an LSI point of view. We talk, as you might have seen, a lot to ESA people and they have the challenges, but they give you their perspective. They founded, as you know, the commercial directorate to answer the industry's needs for this commercial approach much better. Do you see that? Or can you confirm that from the LSI point of view that there is progress made? Progress is a positive sense made. In any case, there's progress made. As that ESA has founded the CIP Directorate, so the Commercial Industrial Program Directorate, and that alone is a sign uh, so that they want to go into this area. The problem is that the CIP has no own budget lines. So at the end of the day, you have to go back to the Program Directorate. They are accompanying it with advice and, the, and with guidance, and they are just started, but they will surely move maybe in more in others and deeper interactions also with industries here. But... At the end of the day, there's no funding line behind it. For funding the, is a good one. Yeah. Because we are in this year uh, of the next uh, ministerial conference. The funding has to come from the member states. Exactly. Just speak it out directly. You're a German company, so you need the German support for your program from the government. And we're doing this interview here while the Minister of Economics, uh, Robert Herbert, is visiting your booth. Yes, exactly. Yes, so, I'm a little bit late for the interview. Yeah, Sorry for this. That's not, not a problem. So how can you convince the government to, a, to fund the right programs and also with an increased budget? Because that's then what can come back. Yeah, one thing per se is in this uh, new government important, and that's new space. This program is driven, the ELSAS program, the small lunar lander, the commercial one, is a new space program. And that's well accepted also in the political rails. But there's also, like I mentioned earlier, the large program, the two-ton payload lander. So one is a 110-kilogram payload lander. The other one is a two-ton kilogram payload lander. Really a totally different story. So if you compare it, one is a bicycle and the other is a truck. Huh? Yeah. So it's really it's a different one. And the government is convinced that space must follow rules to improve in the cost-performance ratio and so on. But this is only possible if you reduce the formalism out of it. This means you take more risk in your development so things can fail. And there the Americans are really in front of us because in the US, failure is an option. In Europe, we are doing very hard with th if things go wrong. So we have a very negative positions. The glass is more half empty than half full. In the US, they say, okay, we learned about it. We don't do the failure the second time. Let's do it. I think there we have to work on. So the government has already a good view on it. They are supporting new space programs and they are doing this. But we must be aware that we have a higher risk in the program and we have to do and do a trial and error stories also there. And we must have the strengths and also the backbone that we can fail. Yeah. Is national pride still a driver for this kind of programs or are we over that? Because it was a driver in the beginning of the space in any case. But yeah. do you see it today? Yeah, sure. People are afraid of failing. And I think this is we have to learn in this culture a little bit. Yeah, but uh, also the pride of our successful mission to say, hey, we go to the moon. Yes, and we are pride. That is an ESA program or it's an ESA project with a German impact or it's a German project with ESA funding. Whatever way, but we should be proud. We can be proud to have a nationality, even within Europe. I agree with you. I think we should play this card a little bit higher also in our lobbying functions towards the ministerial conference to bring the German prideness uh, a little bit on the table. 
And it has another aspect. The first one is a cooperative approach with Israel. And German-Israel relationship is very good. So also this is surely an important part. What we have to work on also to make sure that institutions inside ESA are not afraid of this approach. That they are not thinking that this is jeopardizing the big story, the EL3, the uh, large lunar lander story. And I think this is something we also have to work on towards the ministerial conference to make sure that it's different because I think they are afraid that the funding scenarios might not be as good as it has been in the past due to money going also into other directions, very important other directions to, to get stronger military position in, in that sense. We have to make sure we find a solution that both programs, a commercial small program and the large lander program, can be realized in a kind of parallel scenario. And by the way, the commercial one is a fast lunar access. And we must be aware that in the US, they have a commercial program, it's called CLIPS. And within the CLIPS program, we expect in the next 10 years, 10, 15 lunar landers going to the lunar surface. And the US is really pushing on it. They are trying to develop a lunar economy in the future. And Europe, if we stay and wait until 2030 plus, we might miss something. In that sense, I think that's a very important aspect that an early lunar landing capability on a cost-efficient commercial lunar lander is a real necessity to follow. And if it's led by Germany, it's even much better. Cool. Timo, thank you very much for your time and the insights into your exploration programs. Thorsten, thank you for the good questions and it was a very relaxed and nice interview. Thank you. If you want to stay on the pulse of the space industry, please visit our website at www.spacewatch.global and subscribe to our newsletters. And of course, don't forget to become a Space Watcher. I'm Thorsten Kreening, publisher at spacewatch.global your independent perspective on space.